Our instruction this evening is from the Heidelberg Catechism in Lord's Day 25. We'll turn there now on page 14 in the back of the Psalter. Page 14 in the back of the Psalter, four questions and answers. And you notice this is a new section in the Catechism under the heading of the Sacraments. The first Lord's Day here is not treating just the sacraments, but treating more generally the means of grace, sacraments and preaching of the gospel. Question 65, since then we are made partakers of Christ and all his benefits by faith only, and that's what's been emphasized in the catechism in the previous uh, instruction, we are righteous by faith alone. We made partakers of Christ and all his benefits by faith only, whence Doth this faith proceed, or where does it come from? And the answer is from the Holy Ghost, who works faith in our heart by the preaching of the gospel and confirms it by the use of the sacraments. What are the sacraments? And now we have a definition of the sacraments. The sacraments are holy, visible signs and seals appointed of God for this end, that by the use thereof he may the more fully declare and seal to us the promise of the gospel. Namely, that he grants us freely the remission of sin and life eternal for the sake of that one sacrifice of Christ accomplished on the cross. 67. Are both word and sacraments then ordained and appointed for this end, or do they have this same purpose, that they may direct our faith to the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross, as the only ground of our salvation? And the answer is yes, indeed. For the Holy Ghost teaches us in the gospel and assures us by the sacraments that the whole of our salvation depends on that one sacrifice of Christ which he offered for us on the cross. And 68, how many sacraments has Christ instituted in the New Covenant or Testament? Two namely, Holy Baptism and the Holy Supper. Let's turn now to Isaiah chapter 55. We turn in the Word of God to Isaiah chapter 55. Isaiah 55, and we'll read the entire chapter together. Isaiah 55. Ho, everyone that thirsteth. It's saying, stop, thirsty ones. Come ye to the waters, and he that hath no money, come ye, buy and eat. Yea, come, buy wine and milk, without money and without price. Wherefore do ye spend money for that which is not bread, and your labor for that which satisfieth not? Hearken diligently unto me, and eat ye that which is good, and let your soul delight itself in fatness or abundance. Incline your ear and come unto me, hear, and your soul shall live, and I will make an everlasting covenant with you, even the sure mercies of David. Behold, I have given him for a witness to the people, a leader and commander to the people, Behold, thou shalt call a nation that thou knowest not, 
and nations that knew not thee shall run unto thee because of the Lord thy God and for the Holy One of Israel, for he hath glorified thee. Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call ye upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts and let him return unto the Lord and he will have mercy upon him. And to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. For as the rain cometh down, and snow from heaven, and returneth not thither, but watereth the earth, and maketh it bring forth and bud, that it may give seed to the sower, and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please, and it shall prosper in the thing whereto I sent it. For ye shall go out with joy, and be led forth with peace. The mountains and the hills shall break forth before you into singing, and all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Instead of the thorn shall come up the fir tree, instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle tree, and it shall be to the Lord for a name, for an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. The aim of the sermon tonight, beloved, is to remind you and to convince you of the importance and the necessity of both the preaching of the gospel and the sacraments. You need both. Now that's a good reminder for our young people, but it's a good reminder for all of us because sometimes, just like food, which we eat without much thought of how it was prepared or what it will do to us, to profit us spiritually, so the preaching of the gospel. But we ought to know, and you need to know, that just as you need food to stay alive, so you need the preaching of the gospel and the sacraments. And just as when you're ill, you need medicine so that you can become well again, so in your spiritual illness, your sin, you need the gospel and the sacraments. That's the lesson that's being taught us here in the Heidelberg Catechism. In the end of the first question, it asks, whence does this faith proceed? And the question is this, where does faith come from? And you notice there's two parts to the answer. It comes from the Holy Ghost, but it comes from the Holy Ghost who works it in our hearts by the preaching of the gospel. So the Holy Ghost uses the means of the preaching of the gospel to give us faith. And then the Holy Ghost confirms or makes that faith stronger by the preaching of the gospel and also the sacraments. In the chapter that we read, this is really what Isaiah is saying. 
He's saying, are you thirsty spiritually? Are you hungry spiritually? In other words, do you lack? Don't waste your time, he's saying, and don't waste your money on things that won't answer that spiritual need. Rather, he says, come, buy wine and buy water and milk without money and without price. Come, he says, hearken, listen to me, incline your ear and your soul shall live. And you notice what he's saying there. He's saying, hear the gospel, give an ear to what the prophet has to say. And he goes on to speak about the content of the gospel when he speaks of David. I have given him for a witness to the people, a leader and a commander to the people. And he speaks of an everlasting covenant with David. And that, of course, has in view Jesus Christ who will come. This is the content of the gospel that's proclaimed, Jesus Christ. Listen, here's the answer to your spiritual need. Here's the answer to your thirst. Don't waste your money, don't waste your time on the things that will not meet that need. And so he says, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. He comes near when the gospel is preached. Believe on Jesus Christ proclaimed in the gospel. And do that together with verse 7, forsaking your sin. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts and let him turn to the Lord. For he will have mercy upon him and to our God. For he will abundantly pardon. You need the gospel. You need Jesus Christ declared in the gospel. This is the only medicine for the sickness of sin. So let's consider tonight the means of grace. Notice with me first what they are, second, how they work, and then third, our use of them. They are the preaching and the sacraments. We call the preaching and sacraments the means of grace, or we could call them the means of faith or the means to faith. That's really what they're called here in the catechism. Whence your faith? Where does your faith come from? And the answer is the Holy Ghost uses the preaching of the gospel and the sacraments. They are the means of faith. What is a means? You don't find this phrase in the Bible, means of grace. A means is an action, an agency, or an instrument that is used to attain an end. A system or a method whereby a result is brought about. The means is an action, or a system, or an instrument which is used to accomplish something. We use the word means that way. We speak of means of communication. So we have phones, we have email, we use the media 
and that's really another word for means, and that's a way of communicating news to us, a means of communication. Or we use the word this way, a means of transportation. And so you may drive a car or take a bicycle or ride in a bus or take an airplane or in former days a horse or a boat, and these are means of transportation. That's a means. God uses means. He uses means both in our physical life and in our spiritual life, and those are set next to each other here in Isaiah chapter 55, verses 10 and 11. Verse 10 speaks of the means for our physical life, for the creation that God uses. So, as the rain cometh down, and the snow from heaven, and returneth not thither, but waters the earth, and makes it bring forth and bud, that it may give seed to the sower, and Bread to the eater. You see what God uses. He uses the means of rain. He uses the means of seed to give bread to the eater. And then right alongside that physical means is the spiritual. So shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void, but shall accomplish that which I please, and shall prosper in the thing whereto I sent it. And God is saying, just as I've given you physical means, so there are spiritual means. The physical means for your physical health. The spiritual means for your faith and your salvation, your spiritual health. And the power of those means are here in the chapter as well. My word shall accomplish that whereto I sent it. And what is that? He returns to a figure again from the creation in verse 13. Instead of the thorn shall come up the fir tree. Instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle tree. The thorn and the briar are pictures of the curse of sin. And instead of them will come up, in the place of them will come up beautiful trees. Called elsewhere in Isaiah, oaks that will bring forth fruit. And that's the power of the Spirit and the Word of God. So the means of grace are the means of the preaching and the sacraments that God uses as actions and agencies to accomplish and obtain an end. And that end is your faith and your salvation. We call them means of grace. And that really fits with the first part of the answer, whence this faith. The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. Really, grace and the Holy Spirit are synonymous ideas in salvation. If we have the Holy Spirit, we have the grace of God. If God is gracious to us, He gives us the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the power by which we receive spiritual blessings. And the Holy Spirit is the grace, or the grace is the power by which we are saved. So how does God, the Holy Spirit, give us faith or save us? And the answer is by the means, the agency, or the system, or the instrument of grace, the means of grace. And the point is this, that when the Holy Spirit does his saving work, 
And as the Holy Spirit continues that saving work in your life and in mine to strengthen us in the Christian faith, he uses means. There's one main exception to that, and that's the mysterious work of the Holy Spirit in regeneration, when God, by the power of the Holy Spirit, regenerates and gives us a new heart. So John chapter 3, you must be born again. And then Jesus compares it to the wind. The wind blows where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh or whither it goeth. So is everyone that is born of the Spirit. And he's saying there to Nicodemus, you must be born again of the Spirit. But that work of regeneration, though it is, we say, without means or immediate without means, always brings one to the gospel and to believing in the gospel of Jesus Christ. We could put it this way, regeneration is closely connected to the preaching of the gospel. And we have a great example of that in Acts chapter 16 when Paul preached in Philippi and the Lord opened the heart there of one who heard his preaching. The heart whom the Lord opened was the heart of Lydia. And we're told there in Acts chapter 16 that the Lord opened her heart so that she attended to the words of Paul. This was the result of her heart being opened, the result of her regeneration. She attended to the words that Paul preached. You see, salvation is not some mystical experience separate from the church and separate from the gospel, but it's something that brings you into connection with the Word of God so that as you hear the Word of God, you say, that's God's Word. I believe it. And especially now, the content of that word, which is Jesus Christ. So that's the idea of the means of grace. Now, there are many other means of grace in the life of the believer. For example, prayer is a means of grace, or personal study of God's word, or reading good Christian literature, or having fellowship with other believers or receiving admonition and encouragement and comfort from the lips of others, or parental instruction. These are all means of grace, means that God uses in our life to work grace, the grace of salvation in our hearts and in our life and experience. In fact, there's a sense in the life of the child of God in which everything is a means of grace. And you understand what I mean by that. That even when God afflicts us, he does that for our profit. And even through the deepest and the darkest afflictions that we have to experience, God is working by his grace in some way to, to profit us spiritually. To strengthen us in our faith. But these other means that I've spoken of are in a sense subservient means, secondary means to the preaching of the gospel and the sacrament. In fact, apart from the gospel and apart from the grace of God in salvation by the Holy Spirit and the effectual working of the Holy Spirit and the gospel to save us, those, none of those others are actually means of grace. They're the opposite to that. 
Affliction is for the profit of God's people, but when God afflicts the unbelieving and the reprobate, he does that in judgment. And so when we speak of the preaching and the sacraments as means of grace, we mean that they are the primary, the absolutely essential means in the life of the child of God. He saves us by the means of the preaching of the gospel and the sacraments. So we could call them the special means of grace, or we could call them the the true means of grace. They are unique. They are the ones that Paul calls the power of God unto salvation. He says in Romans 1, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ because it is the power of God. And he's ready to preach the gospel in Rome, even if it means persecution for him, because this is the the nature of the preaching of the gospel. It's the power to save. And yet, even though they are, as we've just said, special means, there's something very ordinary about them. And the confessions call preaching and sacraments the ordinary means of grace. And the idea is not only that they are the main ones, that they are uh, the ones to which we turn, that we, we should have in a, on a regular basis in our life, so that like food, they are ordinary. But there is something very ordinary about the means themselves. Because preaching is just words. And those words before the world's view are the foolishness of words. The foolishness of God doesn't make sense to an unbelieving world that you would listen to sermons, that you would do that twice every Sunday, and that you would make something special about that, to go and sit together here to hear sermons, words. And it doesn't make sense that you would put them in your devices and listen to them while you're working out or doesn't make sense. Foolishness to the world. Just words. And that's true of the sacraments as well. God takes in the sacraments things that are signs from our daily life, very ordinary things, something that we do repeatedly throughout a day, washing with water or eating bread. Sipping wine. God takes these very ordinary things and he sets them aside as means of grace. Now how is it that, or what is it that makes preaching and the sacraments, baptism and the Lord's Supper, special means of grace? And the answer to that question is, is there in the Lord's day, Christ has commanded us to preach and Christ has commanded us to observe the sacraments. It's the command of Christ that makes them special and unique. The church in the last 50 years or so has gone through what we call worship wars or what have been called worship wars. And the preaching has for the most part, been set aside 
and replaced with other things, things that are more entertaining, things that are seen as better ways to communicate the gospel. But God has commanded these, preaching and the sacraments. They're instituted by Christ. Listen to the Bible's command concerning the preaching of the gospel to the church and to ministers. 1 Timothy 4 verse 13, Paul says to Timothy, Till I come, give attendance to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. Reading is reading publicly the word of God. Exhortation is bringing the word of God to bear on people's lives. Doctrine is teaching scripture and doctrine from scripture. He says to Timothy, this is what you should do. 2 Timothy 4 verse 2. Preach the word, be instant, in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort, with all long suffering. He's saying to Timothy, don't give up on this central task of preaching the gospel. In season, out of season. Matthew 28, verse 19, Jesus' great commission. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. And you see, both of the means of grace set alongside each other. Preaching and the sacraments. Teach and baptize. Again in Romans 10, verse 17, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And so you see the strong emphasis in Scripture, command to preach the gospel. This is what makes it a special means of grace. God has commanded the church to be busy with this. So also the sacraments. The last question asks, how many sacraments are there? Two. And what is it that makes these two sacraments? And it's this, that Christ has commanded these ceremonies in which we use ordinary things. To commemorate the extraordinary of salvation. So Matthew 26, Jesus says, Take, eat, this is my body. He took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them, saying, Drink ye all of it, for this is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for you and for many for the remission of sins. And again in 1 Corinthians 11, Take, eat, those are commands. Drink ye all of it. This do as often as ye drink it in remembrance of me. By this you do show forth my death till I come again. So he commands these ceremonies along with the preaching. And this is what makes them special means of grace. There's one more important thing for us to remember about the means of grace, and that is that they have been given to the church. They've been given to the church for her to administer. They are, we could say, official the church has the right to administer them. That's the Great Commission again in Matthew chapter 28. Go ye and teach and baptize. The administration of the sacraments, or to the administration of the sacraments, belongs the work of the elders in the oversight of the members before the Lord's Supper and in the permission that's given for baptism. And these belong to the worship, the public worship of the church in her gatherings, where they accompany the preaching of the gospel. And so they're given to the church to administer within the church. And so 
They are for believers, and they are not for private administration. And that's true also of the preaching of the gospel. The preaching of the gospel is an official work that belongs to the church. That's not to say that as individuals we're not called to witness in our speech and by our lives. The pouring out of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost makes each of us to be prophets. We're to bring the word in Acts chapter 8 verse 4. We read that they went everywhere preaching the gospel. And the word that's used there for the church that was dispersed everywhere is the word for preaching. And so there's a sense in which we bring the good news of the gospel by our living, as we're scattered abroad, as we're dispersed in the world. As prophets, we're called to proclaim the word, ready to give an answer of the hope that is in us. But as an individual, no believer has the right to appoint himself to the important work of preaching the gospel or to gather a congregation of believers around himself of his own accord. Romans 10 verse 15 puts it this way, How shall they preach except they be sent? And God through the church calls and commissions people to preach the gospel. So when Paul and Silas, or Paul and Barnabas went out on their first missionary journey. The church gathered, prayed, laid their hands on them, ordaining them to this work, and sent them out to preach. And when that is done by the church, then the ministry of the word becomes not simply the thoughts and the message of an individual man, but it belongs to the body of the church, and especially under the care of the elders of the church, as they take oversight of this important work of preaching the gospel, so that in the end, the minister's sermons are not simply his sermons, but they are the church's sermons. So that a minister, as he makes a sermon, is bound by the word of God. And it's only as he brings God's word that he is preaching in a way that's powerful to salvation. But then as he does that work, he does that under the rule and the oversight of the elders. And this is the means then to faith and the means of grace. How do the means of grace, these ordinary things, words and the sacraments of washing and eating and drinking, how do they work faith? How do they operate? And we answer that question, first of all, by saying they don't do it innately. That is, there's no magical power in the sacraments themselves so that everyone who receives the sacrament receives some saving power. As we go on in the sacraments, we're going to see that. And that's true also of words. The Hearing of words or the sitting in a sanctuary where the true gospel of preach is preached does not mean that you're receiving it as a means of grace. In fact, the preaching of the gospel is a two-edged sword, and it could be, if you're not receiving it by faith, that it's a means to damnation and judgment. But now because God is orderly, orderly he chooses to use the means of the gospel and the sacraments in order to operate through them to give 
and to make stronger, to confirm our faith. Now, God is not bound by these means. God can and could work salvation any way that he pleases. But because he's a God of order who chooses to use these means, then they should be important to us. Indeed, they are essential to us. There's something very condescending about God. In, in a good sense, pitiful, merciful, that he uses such ordinary things to communicate the gospel to us. It's as though he comes down as God Almighty in heaven, and instead of using his divine language to speak to us, he comes down and he speaks to us in our earthly language. Human words with pictures that we can understand, pictures of washing, pictures of pouring wine, pictures of breaking bread. And he says to us, this, this is the important thing. This is the gospel and the good news of my son. To understand how they operate, I want us to contrast the word and the sacraments first and then to compare them, to see the similarities. Compare and contrast, but in the opposite order. There is, first of all, a difference between the preaching and the sacraments in how they operate. There's a difference. That difference is pointed to in the Catechism when it says that preaching works faith and the sacraments confirm faith. And when it says that in the gospel, the Holy Spirit teaches us, and in the sacraments, the Holy Spirit assures us. And you understand the difference. By the teaching and preaching of the gospel, the Holy Spirit creates, works faith in the heart of the child of God. In the sacrament... He makes that faith that's there, that is worked by the preaching, he makes it stronger, he confirms it, he assures us by it. An illustration is very helpful here, and this illustration is from certainly from Scripture, and it fits right with what happens in salvation. You sow a seed in the ground. It's essential when you put that seed in the ground, in order for that seed to germinate, that the seed have water. And water remains essential beyond the germination of the seed. The whole life of the plant demands water, moisture. And in the same way, the preaching of the gospel is essential, like water, to bring the seed of regeneration to a living faith. So where the Holy Spirit opens the heart, as he did in Lydia's case, the word is needed in order to bring that new life to expression in faith. And so God uses the preaching of the gospel like water on a seed to germinate and to to keep that healthy. That's essential. Sometimes a farmer will add to the water or to the soil a fertilizer. That's not essential for the plant's survival, but that fertilizer is going to make the plant stronger. 
And the sacraments are like that. They're added to the preaching of the gospel to make our faith stronger by confirming through other senses than just the ears and the mind, through the eyes and through our taste, to confirm the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now that difference between the sacraments and the preaching of the gospel was very important at the time of the Reformation when the Heidelberg Catechism was written, and that's why we're going to spend so much time in the sacraments so that we understand this difference between the preaching and the sacraments. The the Roman Catholic Church had seven sacraments. The Roman Catholic Church saw that or or taught that in the sacrament itself there was a saving grace to every recipient. So it said ex opera operata, that out of the activity God operated by his grace automatically. And so everyone who was baptized was pardoned of all their sins to that point and forgiven of their sinful nature. As though the sacrament itself did something magical. And so the way of salvation in the Roman Catholic system became a way of receiving the sacraments. And there were seven sacraments. It was a, what's been called a sacerdotal system. That is a sacrament-focused system. And the Reformation, in contrast to that, was a return to the primacy of the preaching of the gospel, and the sacraments were given their proper and secondary place alongside the preaching. And still today, that's important. What we need is the preaching of the gospel. What our children need is the preaching of the gospel. What the unconverted need is the preaching of the gospel. Yes, mature or confessing believers also receive the sacraments for the confirmation of their faith. But you can be a healthy Christian without the sacraments. The preaching is primary. And as we compare sacraments and the preaching, there's difference in these three areas. First, there's a difference in the way of approach. They come to us differently. The preaching comes to our ears with words and then to stimulate our minds with ideas. Whereas the sacraments come through our eyes and our other senses. So there's a difference in approach. Then there's a difference in necessity. Preaching is essential. The sacraments are added to the preaching to confirm the message of the preaching of the gospel. And then there's a difference in effect. The preaching creates faith, it works faith, whereas the sacraments confirm or make stronger that faith. So we have contrasted the two. But now let's see the similarities between the two. And that's emphasized here in the Catechism. What is the similarity between preaching and sacraments? Well, it's this that they bring the exact same good news, that they point us to the exact same thing as the object of our faith. They bring us Christ, and they bring us to Christ. They direct us to him. 
They bring us the good news of the cross and the suffering of Jesus Christ. In the place of sinners, bearing the weight of of the wrath of God, here's the good news of the gospel and the means of grace, preaching and sacraments, bring us to the same thing. And that's what preaching must declare. When sermons focus on social issues and ills or on moralism, being morally upright in your life, and that's all that the Word of God or all that the preaching brings to you, then it's not really bringing you the good news of Christ, is it? It's not really gospel preaching. Preaching should call sinners whose sins have been exposed to look away from themselves to Jesus Christ, to rest in him alone for salvation, to come in repentance. And that again is what we read here in Isaiah 55. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts and let him turn to the Lord for he will abundantly pardon That's the gospel call. Come thirsty, come hungry, and buy wine and milk without money and without price. Come, not in your own righteousness. Come, not with your own methods and ways, but come to Jesus. And that's the the thing that Paul was determined to preach. He says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 2, I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified. That's what I wanted to preach to you. Now, it doesn't mean that he didn't talk about in his preaching and in his writing other topics and other subjects, but his goal was also was always to bring them to Christ, to bring them in repentance to the cross, to live their lives in the shadow of the cross, bearing a cross themselves, in the experience of the the immense love of God in their hearts, in the good news of the gospel, to express that in their relationships. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Forgive one another as Christ also has forgiven you. And the sacraments, in a similar way, are signs to direct us away from themselves to Jesus Christ. They don't call attention to themselves, but they are signs. If you see an advertisement on the side of the road for ice cream, you're not thinking about how that sign was constructed and the different colors and the size of the letters and the font, unless you're into graphic design. But otherwise, you're just thinking of the ice cream that was advertised, and you want it. And the sacraments are like that. They direct us away from themselves to Jesus Christ, to his broken body, to his shed blood, to the washing away of our sins. And to the good news then, to confirm by those signs the good news of the gospel. And so as we begin... This is to remind you and to convince you of the necessity and the importance of the means of grace. I said they belong to the church. Christ has given them to the church. These are marks of a true and of a healthy church. Without them, the preaching of the gospel, 
and the sacraments, the church is not doing the work of Christ and cannot function as a church. So the church must guard the preaching and the sacraments. The church must administer and use them faithfully. The work of the ministry of the word and the sacraments is not just the work of one man in the church, but this is the work of the elders in the church in their oversight, and it's the work of the members in the church in their receiving and believing the word that's proclaimed. And we must protect the preaching of the gospel, especially when it comes under attack and is undermined. But you need the preaching. You do. We've seen that in Isaiah 55, but taking the same illustration, listen to what Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 2. He says, laying aside all malice and all guile and all hypocrisies and all envies and all evil speaking. Reminds us of Isaiah 55. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Laying all these things aside... Peter says, as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word that you may grow thereby. Sincere means pure. You want the pure, unadulterated good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, of the grace of God in Jesus Christ. And you want it because it's healthy, you grow thereby. Think of it as a meal in which God gathers his church as a family and feeds her. And that family eats together around the same table and eats the same food and grows in the same way together. And God somehow mysteriously is doing that whenever he gathers his church as a body to hear the preaching of the word. We hear it. We embrace it. We grow together under it. And then it's beneficial not just to the individual, but to the church as a whole and is for her health and profit. And the result of it is True fellowship, true fellowship in the church is not just this is where my friends are, but it's this, that we gather and we confess and we believe the same good news. We rest in the same Savior. And we acknowledge the same Scripture, Bible, to be the Word of God. And we confess that to one another in our lives. It's interesting in Hebrews chapter 10, which speaks of the church gathering together. It says there, not to forsake the gathering of ourselves together as the manner of some is. It's interesting in that context, which lays upon us the necessity of attending the public, the corporate worship of the church, that it says nothing about the preaching of the gospel. But it says you have to come together for these corporate meetings so that you may exhort and admonish and consider one another and provoke one another to love and good works. And so we have to receive the preaching as food for our souls that then can be used for the benefit and the profit of others in the body.
And so regularly, together with other believers, we need to hear the gospel call, the good news that comes to thirsty and hungry souls and calls us as sinners away from sin to forsake our way and to turn unto the Lord and to seek him while he may be found, while he is near in the gospel preached. May God use the word and the sacraments in that way here for our prophet. Amen. Father, we're grateful for the gift to the church of the gospel and the sacraments. These are important, important for us individually, important for us as the church. They have been important throughout the history of the world. This is the great work that the church is busy with, declaring the good news of the gospel to the ends of the earth. And this is the great work that will continue till the day that Jesus comes again. And so we pray that tonight, Lord, the, the importance and the necessity of it may, be, may have been impressed upon our souls so that just as we would take bread and water, food for our health, so we would continue to receive the word for our salvation. We ask it for Jesus' sake. Amen.